0: I'm Zarada Cordova, and you're listening to the Clash and Sabres Network.
1: A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them
0: Obi Wan never told you what happened to your father, he told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. All right, three, two, one. Another chapter is here. This is Don't Burn the Sacred Text. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I actually remembered our intro today, so this is the first time we're going through this recording. I just thought I would get that in in there for... Uh, you know, the future generations to bask in my glory. <laughs> um, And that laugh you hear, that amazing laugh that you hear is my good friend. She is cooler than Sabine and Finn tap dancing together. Wait for it, wait for it. On Batu.
1: Bat- oh, great segue. But you know what, I'm just... I'm very proud of you that you got the right intro on the first try. I Don't know. get me wrong. I am very proud. It's like a I'm, unicorn. I'm even more impressed, though, that you thought to turn <laughs> the recorder on since we were in the middle of a great... Off-air discussion on what we think is going to happen. You know, we're recording this Wednesday night, August twenty-first. What's going to happen at D twenty-three Expo this weekend? So I'm happy that you want to return the recorder on while we're in the middle of the conversation. Well,
0: again, every now and then I have these little golden moments, and I never know when it's going to be. I should just record all the time. It's the only solution. It's it's the only solution. So if somebody's listening to the show for the first time they're gonna be like who the hell is this kid um (laughs) so we were talking about d23 and i was mentioning how i am kind of okay if we never got a trailer um because my butt's gonna be in the seat for episode nine and it's only like 124 days away or something like that and you made a really good point so why don't you go ahead and, and share that with our listeners
1: Well, I really do think based on everything that they have already announced is going to happen this weekend, all the panels and all the promotional material that they started for Disney Plus, I think this weekend is going to be so much more focused on The Mandalorian than it is The Rise of Skywalker. And I don't mean that we're not getting anything for Rise of Skywalker. They already announced certain um, actors are going to be there. They're going to give some kind of information. I think we'll get like a... Really, really, really basic behind-the-scenes sizzle reel. But they already announced we're going to get the trailer for Mandalorian. And I think it's going to be a massive push, not just in Star Wars to promote the Mandalorian, but just for Disney overall. It's going to be such a great entry point into Disney Plus for, lack of better terms, those childless, childless millennials Who have the budget to get on Disney Plus, but maybe they don't feel the need to get every single Disney classic or Disney Renaissance movie ever made. But something like this, that's gonna bring a whole new audience. And I really do think it's gonna be the primary focus for Star Wars this weekend and a pretty heavy focus for Disney.
0: I'm not gonna lie, my excitement for Disney Plus, I'm not gonna say it's equal to Rise of Skywalker but they're like in the same restaurant they're just at different tables you know mm-hmm. like i am mm-hmm. so i'm never going to have to wonder what to watch again like disney plus is going to have everything we need it's just all right there in one location
1: it really is <laughs> and i can't even begin to imagine the other new content that you know obviously at san diego comic con mcu released a whole bunch of original content that's going to be on Disney plus star Wars is pushing a lot between this Cassian, uh, clone Wars revival. It's a lot that we already know to be excited. A lot of classics to be excited about, but it's just going to keep, they're just going to keep pumping this out year after year. So I can't even begin to imagine the possibilities there.
0: It's especially in this era of six to 10 episode seasons, you know, like you can mm-hmm. turn around such great content so quickly, and to have like all the classic stuff, you know, and and Disney of course owning pretty much every property in the galaxy, uh, except Spider Man. Well, he ex- <laughs> don't don't you worry about that. Where there's a Disney, there's a way. Uh, but I mean, seriously, like I, we we, I pay for Hulu, and. Honestly, ninety percent of the reason I still pay for Hulu is because Brooke likes watching certain shows, like week to week. Um, otherwise, I would drop it. I'll probably try to bundle in like the Hulu, Disney Plus, ESPN Plus yeah. to get some of the MMA fights. But just like the the value to dollar is is amazing um, for mm-hmm. for what they're offering, and I think the only thing. The only thing I wish is – and I understand kind of – well, no, I really don't. I don't understand why they're – they they know all the old content that's going to be on there. I just wish they would just drop it all day one, you know? Like because I don't think it's going to be one of those things where if somebody wants a – like wants to watch Cinderella or whatever, they're going to subscribe for the month and then unsubscribe because they're going to subscribe and be like, oh, there's Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty and Moana and – Inside out and all these things. And I think once you they're going to get on the service, as long as it's user friendly, I I don't know how you get out of it.
1: Yeah, we're going to have to say, I mean, I'm really interested to see what they continue to do with the marketing push, the pricing packages for that. But just in terms of the Mandalorian. And even, you know, I'll even open this up to Clone Wars because I wouldn't even be surprised if we got something about Clone Wars coming back this weekend. What do you think we're going to see? Do you think it's just going to be a really generic teaser trailer? Do you think they're going to give a lot more information or even maybe some extended scenes? What do you think we're going to say?
0: I think we're going to get a trailer that plays very much into and and. I don't mean this in a negative way, but plays very much into the fanboy stereotype. And what I mean by that is, the the stereotype of the person who would like a Boba Fett, who would like Mandalorian, is that like you know you're you're fanboy, and I think it's more diverse um, than that, obviously. But I think they're going to play into that stereotype with the you know cool one-liners, the the turn to cameras over the shoulders. It, it's kind. I think it's going to be basically a Fast and Furious trailer in Star Wars. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of Vin Diesel turning to the camera um, and stuff. And I, I think that's kind of what they're going to push it as. And then once you get in, you're like, oh, this is a lot more complicated and deep than I thought it was going to be. Because, I mean, John Favreau and Dave Filoni. Um, I don't think we're going to get a lot of story... Um, I think we'll get maybe kind of the setup stuff for the first episode. Um, a little bit of tease of that because I, they I, they didn't show the entire first episode, but they showed uh, a good-sized clip at, uh, what was it? Was that Celebration? Celebration. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it, it looked unfinished to me.
0: Oh, yeah, because you were there for that one, right? I
1: was there. Yeah, and it was, I don't want to give a lot away because it did look really good. It looked totally different from what we're used to. But it just seemed, I don't want to say unpolished, because I think that the entire show is supposed to look unpolished. Yeah. It really did look like they didn't quite put all of the finishing touches on it yet. Not in an aesthetic way, just in a real, I don't know how to describe it. Why? Just just It wasn't quite right. You know when you watch a deleted scene on a DVD and you're like, oh, okay, they just clearly didn't finish it?
0: Yeah, and I, well, I also think, like, if you're thinking of Star Wars as a Western, and you look at Solo as kind of a a Western-style film, that's more of, like, a John Wayne, like, trying to to get the mass audience versus, Mm -hmm. like, I think Mandalorian is going to be not as graphic and stuff, but more of the Django Unchained type of Western, where it's edgier, it's maybe, yeah. you know, I don't think we're going to get R-rated, but I don't think it's going to be one where you sit down with your seven-year-old to introduce them to Star Wars through The Mandalorian, right. you know? Right. So in terms of, you know, marketing, like your original question asked, you can't put too much, you can't give too much of that away or else it takes away from it once you actually show it in the movie or in the show you know which i guess this one's pretty much a movie because it's going to be like 8 hours at 10 million dollars an episode <laughs> But, yeah, it, it'll it be interesting. It's hard to speculate just because it's so unprecedented, right? Like trailers and stuff, it's easier to be like, oh, yeah, we'll probably get it here because this is the pattern they right, followed in Force right. Awakens. We
1: now know the pattern of April we get a trailer, yep. D23 we get the behind-the-scenes, October we get another trailer, November we get commercials. But, yeah, this is totally new for us. But that's why I kind of think they will start to put some of the story behind it this weekend. Because they're going to have to differentiate this from everything that's about to come out for Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. I just hope my, I mean,
0: I'm going to watch it because it's Star Wars. But I really hope it is not the level of dark and gritty that like a Daredevil was. Because I I mean, after season, I watched season one and part of season two of Daredevil. And then it was just too much darkness um, and it kind of put me off of all of the MCU Netflix shows, the Jessica Jones and, and Iron Fist and Defenders and everything. They were all just... Well, they weren't all that, but the Daredevil being that kind of put me off of it. So I'm hoping it's not... I'm hoping it's still Star Wars at its core where at the end of the day you feel the hope. Um, it keeps those same themes. And it may be, you know... Whereas in Clone Wars, they don't show Ahsoka chopping off seven people's heads at one time, but you know she chopped off seven people's mm-hmm. heads at one time. Maybe they do chop off a head, but it's not spouting blood like a Quentin Tarantino movie. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's, there's a fine line to walk tame, there. It's that
1: family-friendly beheading. Yes,
0: exactly. That's what we need in Star Wars. Well, <laughs> speaking of beheading, um, I almost lost my head today when I saw the prices that came out For the Star Wars Hotel at Galaxy's Edge. Have you seen (gasps) these prices?
1: No, it's going to hurt me, though.
0: It's... There are no one-night stays. It's a two-to-three-night stay, which, of course, this is part of the story. So you go to Galaxy's Edge, that's part of the story. You go, you know, all that. Are you... Hopefully you're sitting down because otherwise you're gonna fall and it's gonna be terrible audio. I am.
1: I'm ready. I'm nervous, but let's hear it.
0: For one person, three thousand three hundred dollars.
1: Oh ho ho! For wow. Wait, is that that's for three nights though? That's not per night, right? No,
0: that's for three nights.
1: Okay, still. Still. Still insane.
0: And then for I don't I think it was a three to five room. Person room i don't don't know but basically like a party uh size room is 7400 a night which is about 1400 a person
1: oh my god i'm so happy i don't have kids
0: okay a i know you're gonna go do this so that's not even in the question uh but i'm i'm actually this is the first time i'm legitimately upset about something that disney has done with star wars
1: Yeah, because that is just to the point of, you know, not every fan is going to get to experience it.
0: Right. And it's like you're not even it's not even there's no there's no potential to go to that level for a lot of people, you know, and I mean, that's like that's literally like a month's worth of paychecks you know and and I live a comfortable life i make a good wage think about the people who are having to you know work fast food or you know the service industry who are getting hours cut and they're still buying your books and and yeah. buying your video games and so i don't know that was disappointing because i really was looking forward to going to batu and doing the whole experience and just You know, one time maybe going all out where I can get my lightsabers and get my droid and be able to stay at the hotel and just have this whole great experience and everything like that. But if you're I mean, if if it comes between like, well, you can go to stay at Galaxy's Edge or you can play pay for a plane ticket to go to Europe. I mean.
1: I mean, not only think of it doing, you know something else with that that's how much rent for some people that's you know three four months rent for some people it's just it's
0: disappointing and i i don't feed into the whole galaxy's edge is a failure because it's a long-term thing eventually it'll pay off it'll be fine but this is this feels like a money grab I know yeah. they're a business, they're a corporation, they're supposed to make money. I have no problem with that. I have, if I d- had a problem with that, I wouldn't pay my money to go see Star Wars. I wouldn't pay for the books on the first day they come out. You know, like I—that's I, not my issue. My issue is, I mean, yeah, like like you said, three to four months rent. It's just really yeah. disappointing. It should
1: be for everyone, or it should at least for that much be like. Yes, you're part of this story. Yes, this is your lodging for the next three days. We're also going to include all of your meals, or something like that.
0: Yeah, and I don't. At least I haven't seen any details about like what that includes and in everything. So that have could... have they
1: said when it's going to open?
0: No, I haven't seen that yet. Um, That's wild. It could be where that in is an all inclusive thing, of you know, like you get to you know that pays for your ticket into uh the park that pays for your Mm, custom lights if that's the package then i'm like okay cool yeah like that's about It's probably not though but no i mean if we're being honest but like i don't know it just rubbed me the wrong way and i had to get that off my chest so i feel better now thank you for coming to my star wars therapy session (laughs)
1: <laughs> that will be $65. Uh, Thanks for having us.
0: <laughs> now let's get into something that was not disappointing and was not a letdown, which is our book we're talking about today.
1: We're going to talk about Crash of Fate tonight, and we were lucky enough just two weeks ago to have Zoraida Cordova on the show with us and give us a little bit more insight, talk about her fandom. But now that we have had time to digest the story and where it fits in the Star Wars universe, we get to actually dissect it a little bit. And I know I was a big fan of this, but Brandon, what were your kind of initial thoughts on the story? Well, before I jump into that,
0: there is one, because there's only one grievance I have, right, with this, not even with this book, with Lucasfilm Publishing in delray publishing across the, the banner i was reading i was looking at the front cover um timeline of okay. of a we'll say a book that uh should have crash of fate in its timeline but i noticed that the timelines don't have the ya books in them and I'm disappointed in that. So I just wanted to wow. point that out. Yeah. Lost Stars isn't in there. Wow. Uh, Queen Shadow. None of, that, none of those are in there. So Delray, if anybody's listening,
1: put the YA Wait, books in there. are you looking at Crash of Fate or are you looking at Black Spire?
0: I'm looking at Black Spire.
1: Uh-huh. And that's just your subtle way of mentioning that we have Black Spire. I don't know what you're talking about. We're talking about <laughs> Crash of Fate. Uh, <laughs> I, just, I just opened up Crash of Fate to look at the timeline I don't even see one but that's no,
0: wild. The YA books are not in the timeline. Now, I would understand like the the younger junior novels, The Pirate's Price, Lando's Luck, things like that not being in there, but yeah, I was kind of disappointed in that. So anyways, that's my only grievance. To go back to your question, I really enjoyed this book. I mean, it it felt it my my overall reaction, it's not anything canon shattering. Um, like A Master and Apprentice, which I think completely changes the, the way we interpret The Phantom Menace. Um, I I honestly don't, I don't think it changes a lot of anything, but I'm okay with that. Um, it
1: really doesn't. And, I would and, say this was almost the easiest book to read because of that. Yeah, You know, I don't want to say that other books feel like homework because they don't because I love them. And I love that when I usually pick up a Star Wars book, I don't want to put it down with very except few exceptions. I don't want to put except for yeah. That's We're what looking I was at you, <laughs> but but sometimes it, it feels like homework because you feel like if you miss one little detail in one of the books you miss out on so much. Or if you don't remember every single name of a new character or every single planet someone's been on, you might miss something down the line and you want to see how everything connects. But this was the first book in a very, very long time that I picked up. And even though, yes, it felt like Star Wars and, yes, it was really good, I got to just enjoy it for what it is without feeling like I – had to study it. Yeah. I mean,
0: I kind of consider this like a cotton candy read. And what I mean by that is like it's not it's not a whole bunch of nutritional value, not really any nutritional value. You know, in, in terms of like feeding into the canon. But it is a good amount of fun to read. It's a good amount of fun to consume. It's a you know, you get cotton candy at big events because they're going to be something you remember and you want to experience that, you know, the whole thing. And I feel like this book gives you that kind of experience. You, I really felt immersed in the galaxy, but not overwhelmed by the Star Wars. It was like actually getting to see what it's like to live in that galaxy without all the pressures of, oh my God, like, is the force balanced? And you know, where's the Sith Lord and things like that. It was just, these are two people who live in this galaxy and they're just trying to figure out who the hell they are. And I thought that was really super relatable. I thought, I mean, that's kind of it, this book in particular, more than like a, a most wanted or a queen shadow kind of plays into the, what I would consider the typical YA um, genre. In terms of like, it's got like, you know, the young romance, the those kind of tropes, the um, overly romantic.
1: Coming of age. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: the trying too hard to be romantic kind of dialogue, um, those kind of things. But I love those kind of things. Like when I'm not reading Star Wars, I'm usually reading YA. So it was right up my alley. So what about you? I know you were really excited about this.
1: I was, you know, it, it's funny because you said it really well that it, while it feels inherently star Wars, it doesn't go so heavy on that wars part. And I didn't realize until I got through this book, how groomed I was to expect that and Mm. how groomed I was to get really gritty and into how, you know, Alphabet Squadron was so much about how does war affect these individual soldiers? You know, Lost Stars was how does war come in and totally change the trajectory of people's lives? And it's not to say that Crash of Fate is lighthearted by any means, and it's not to say that you go in and it's some, you know, comedy or you just get through it really quickly and nothing bad happens to anyone. But like you said it's it's relatable because we have two characters who are incredibly different from each other and even though they they start off as friends when they're kids because they don't see each other for so long, they have very different backgrounds. Yeah. And that's automatically I think something different that we get from other Star Wars books, you know, most wanted you have Han and Kira, but they grew up in the same environment. They're very similar and they understand each other that way. Princess of Alderaan. We have Leia go in and meet Holdo and meet her other, um, junior senators. And they all grew up very similarly and they can understand each other. Now we have two main characters who grew up in totally different worlds so we're able to relate to one or the other based on background yeah but the Uh,
0: go ahead no no go ahead no
1: go on go on go on well i was just gonna say like
0: the other side of romance that we get in star wars is the han and leia where they're opposing each other and picking on each other and, and that kind of thing and because they're from two different backgrounds and this wasn't that case either
1: yeah, they just mesh. They make right. it really easy to mesh together. Um, but what I was thinking, too, is it it's fun because even if you don't necessarily align with one of these characters because of their background, you align with them because of what their ambitions are mm. and what they want for themselves and for the rest of their lives – Because this is the first time, if you think about it, we kind of have an average Joe character in Jules, and we get to see what day-to-day life is like for someone who doesn't side with the rebellion or doesn't join the Imperial Academy. They don't become a... Jedi. This is really and truly like the first average Joe story. And then we have Izzy who goes off on more exciting adventures and leads the type of life we're more accustomed to following in Star Wars. So it's really cool to see that juxtaposition and to see a little bit of nuance in the life of a Star Wars character who we wouldn't normally think of as a Star Wars character. Well, and I think
0: one of the things that was really interesting about this book and, and that I was really grateful for um, with this book is normally where we would go in Star Wars is Izzy would come, her and Jules would fall in love, all that good stuff, and Jewel, Izzy would take Jules away to finally go off on his adventures in the galaxy. Where in this this book we get Izzy learning that it's okay to stay in one place and just be like you said an average joe it's okay to just be happy with your life and and where you're at and like that's more important than you know anything you know love and and those things that we we see on a grander scale with the luke's and hans and leias in this big galactic adventure but 99.9% of the galaxy is Jules and Izzy, you know, in some some way, shape, or form, where yes, there is this world of opportunity out there, but is that really what's going to bring them joy in life? And I just have to say, I'm totally Jules, and I am okay with that because he is awesome. <laughs> like <laughs> seriously, puppy there. I mean, hopeless romantic. Hi, nice to meet you. Um, but also, like, always having these plans for these big adventures, and then when it finally gets time to do it, I'm like. Maybe, maybe not. Not maybe not right now. Uh, maybe I, maybe I hold off. Um, so I found that really relatable. I mean, you you mentioned this that like you either relate with one character or the other, and it's it's really a testament to Zerata Cordova's writing capacity that she's able to create these two characters that do pretty much encompass everyone, and yet are very self-contained in and of themselves. It doesn't feel like she's trying to create this generic character. So like, hey, elbow, elbow, you can relate to this person, right? It was, here's the characters, and she was very... I felt she was very honest with how the characters would have acted. And I think part of that comes from when we talked with her about this on that episode. She didn't try to just give us a whole bunch of background to the characters first before getting into the story. She let the story present the background that it needed to. And so you felt like you really were joining these people in their life and in this adventure. And for me personally, like I appreciated that style a little bit more because it was, it was more engaging, I think.
1: Not only that stylistically, but one of the reasons why I found it more engaging was... It goes back to that average or that everyman concept, not in terms of their profession, not in terms of what they do day to day, but more in terms of skill level. You know, we talk about like Dark Disciple, incredible book. It's riveting. It keeps you right at the edge of your seat from the very beginning. But you don't necessarily relate to Ventress because she's this master bounty hunter. She's yeah. the best at what she does. Master and apprentice. You have Qui-Gon as one of the greatest Jedi of all time. All these other stories, we see the best of the best. And yes, it's it's exciting, but it was really cool that, you know, I, I personally expected when we catch up with Izzy all those years later, I figured, okay, she's going to be like this accomplished well-known well-respected scoundrel and she's not she's learning she's making mistakes you know they say straight up no one knows her name so it's so easy to relate to the decision she makes because that's someplace that yeah we've all been obviously not as you know scoundrels in a galaxy far far away but we've all been beginners at some point so it's so easy to put yourself in her shoes and think I understand why she's doing this I understand why she's making these choices and I would have done the same as opposed to someone like Ventress who you see what she does and it's like oh that's so cool I wish I could do that
0: well there's there's two points in there that I, I want to dig into first you know Star Wars is a mythology and a major function of mythology is is to present to us who we can be. You know, that's a, that's a big factor in the hero's journey. It's, it is explaining our lives, but also something aspirational. And I've been very vocal about how, like, Ahsoka, Leia, Aiden are my heroes, Hera, uh, because they're the kind of people that I want to be. You know, Luke, at the end of Return of the Jedi, is the kind of person that I want to be. I don't know if that's the person I am. Whereas Jules is the person i am. So you have more of a realistic fiction versus a mythological like legend which is something really new here which i like, but then also you mentioned, you know, nobody knowing Izzy's name. And what was interesting is you know, she's in this crew with Anatola who everybody knows. And she her mother was well known in Batu and clearly, you know, had made a name for herself. And so you have Izzy coming up being who she thinks she's supposed to be because this is this is what the people around her are doing and, and so she's basically just imitating because she doesn't know any better and she's not doing a very good job of it. That sounds like a little baby boy we may see be redeemed in episode nine. <laughs> right? Like isn't that it it's It's true. It's a it's Kylo Ren's story just on a much less grand scale and I don't think that negates the importance of it for that particular person you know like some people face their trials in front of the entire world you know thinking of people like Britney Spears Lindsay Lohan who have like fallen apart in front of the world and we analyze it and critique it and oh my god what are they doing Well, nobody cares what when I make the mistake you know like I'm not being on the front of people magazine because i you know walked around with untied shoes i don't even know i've never haven't read a people magazine so but i'm <laughs> i'm rambling here but you get my point like it's
1: i do it's a no, very star it's, wars-esque it's, story just on a smaller scale it's a star wars story with less pressure because overall i think the themes are pretty similar to what we see in other YA stories. You know, I'm thinking like Rebel Rising, off air we really equate this a lot to Most Wanted. Stories like that, the the themes are the same. It's still about young people coming into their own, discovering who they are, and something that Cordova points out time and time and time again in this is you're trying to find your way in the galaxy. You know, she talks so much about Izzy especially wanting to explore every single planet in the galaxy. And there's all these things she wants to see, but she knows that she'll never be able to see everything in her entire life. So she needs to figure out what's important for her. I'm going to be the first one to see them all. (laughs) Oh, I hate you. (laughs) Well played. Well played.
0: I mean, Um, I'm not wrong.
1: You're not. You are not. But Izzy, if she could be the second one to see them all, she would have been. <laughs> um, but but you know, it's that's similar to what we see, but we don't have the pressure of something like in Rebel Rising or Most Wanted, where we're reading this because it's an origin story. Yeah. We aren't reading this because we know that Jin Erso is going to go through all of this to really kick off the rebellion. And we're not reading this because we want to find out how Han became that quick thinker that he he is. Um, You know, this is is something we can enjoy in these isolated moments without that pressure. That doesn't make it less effective, though. If anything, I would say it makes it more effective. Yeah. Because it's, it's not leading up to something greater now again cordova told us on when we had her on the show that if they wanted to bring her in for a sequel she has ideas and i'd be all for that but still you you can read this in a bubble
0: well and also it, it being its own thing it being something that like we said doesn't have a lot of weight on the the episodics you know saga films um I don't think that negates the importance of the story or the characters or the execution of it, right? Like, you mentioned earlier about, like, it feeling like homework sometimes, and it does. Like, I'll be reading some Star Wars books sometimes, and I'm like, I just need a break from Star Wars reading for a minute. And then I go get a different book, and I'm like, but I just don't enjoy reading this as much as I enjoy reading a Star Wars book. And it's like this conundrum of, like, I don't want something as heavy as Alphabet Squadron or as, you know, intense with Force lore as Master and Apprentice. I just want something to catch my breath. And that's exactly what this was. It was a breath of fresh air. And
1: I mean, I want to ask you this then. What is it that sets Star Wars apart from... You know, anything non-Star Wars, because I feel the same as you do. Sometimes I'm like, I want a little variety. I don't want to sit here and overanalyze every single sentence and feel like I need to go back through my notes and see where it connects to this. And how does it relate to this part of the hero's journey? I want to just sit there and and breathe a little bit. I can't put my finger, though, on what it is that makes Star Wars Star Wars. And I think it's because of this book now specifically, because it was lighter and because it was isolated but still enjoyable. I can't figure out now what it is that makes a Star Wars book a Star Wars book. I mean, don't say it takes place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away because I will just hang up.
0: I wasn't gonna say that, but that would have been a good one. <laughs> I, know.
1: Man, I, missed I a, realized as soon as I said it, I, I was missed like, oh, a I a real set opportunity
0: up. there. I mean, I think we have to differentiate between like a Star Wars book and a successful Star Wars book, first of all. Because I think for me personally, the Star Wars books that are successful are the ones that Don't lean so much into the sci-fi and focus more on the themes that Star Wars has, which is what this book had, you know, the themes of love, the themes of hope, the themes of doing the right thing simply because it's the right thing to do. Small acts being of great importance, you know, like if uh, I'm forgetting the farmer's name, but if that farm, you know, blows up and and goes to hell, most people in the galaxy aren't going to know. You know, like Batu probably has to pay. You know, taxes rise a little bit or something because they have to pay for more shipping. You know, but like in the grand scheme of the thing, ninety percent of the people won't know. But you know, if Star Wars is for twelve year olds, if it is for the kid inside of us, which in my personal belief is like the truest form of who we are, is is who we were when we were, you know, pure as a child it's speaking to that person and reminding us about those, those things that you can make a difference by just impacting one person's life because really, yes, Luke saves the galaxy, but he saved the galaxy by saving one person, you know, all the, the good stuff spiraled out of that. Right. And Jules and Izzy, you know, in, in their own little world saved the galaxy by just helping do the right thing, you know um so I think that at its core is what makes a Star Wars book a Star Wars book is sticking with those themes that we see on screen that we see repeated in Clone Wars and rebels um I mean, I didn't even get into found family and like we know Izzy and Jules get married because obviously they're like perfect uh, <laughs> it, it it I think it's those things those those core things about what we should be doing with our lives. And the difference is just a matter of, are we talking, you know, giving your life and and being willing to sacrifice everything to get the Death Star plans or being willing to sacrifice everything to save a farm? It's just the context that changes.
1: That's a really... Those are a lot of really good points. One thing I really like that you say is, too, it it plays to not your inner child, but who you were as a child in your purest form. And not always in a nostalgic way. I think there are a lot of stories that hit us because of nostalgia reasons. You know, I, I would equate it probably to, uh, to the Lion King, for example, you know, this we're seeing all these movies be remade. We're seeing The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, all these remakes coming in. And I think it plays more to the nostalgia factor where we can be like, oh, but I loved this movie when I when I was a kid. I, I listened to this cassette tape in the car with my mom all the time when I was a kid. But it's not that telling those stories now has the same effect on me, whereas a Star Wars story done well It doesn't make me nostalgic for when I was nine years old reading this, you know, with a flashlight under my under my blanket so that I wouldn't wake my twin sister up. It doesn't make me think of that. It makes me think of, okay, when I was nine years old sitting at the lunch table at school, how was I acting? How do I wish I acted? What do I wish I had grown up to be? And it plays to that more than it does just pure nostalgia.
0: Yeah. And. I mean, part of the the nostalgia issue. Adriana's gonna hate me. I'm gonna get some angry texts at like midnight because she lives in California, so it's not that late. I can't wait. Oh my god, I can't believe I'm about to say this on air, but I can't wait. Like the new Lion King is not my favorite. The original Lion King, I absolutely love. The new one, I could take it or leave it, and ninety percent of that is because the majority of it is just a carbon copy of the cartoon and with beauty and the beast with jungle book with these other films we've gotten yes we've gotten remakes but it's there's a little more interpretation to it there's a little more going on um and i think that's what makes the difference in in star wars is and i hate to bash on thrawn but like it's the one that comes to mind immediately but Part of the reason I think the Thrawn trilogy is not effective for me is because I don't have the nostalgia for it. I—I I mean, I read air to the Empire* once. I started listening to podcasts and hearing everybody talk about it. Wasn't crazy about Thrawn then. Like, didn't dislike him. Still don't dislike him, but just not my thing. And but for people who, you know, were like you were saying, you know, reading air to the Empire* under their sheet, you know, with a flashlight because they couldn't go to sleep because, oh, my God, there was new Star Wars. You're hitting that nostalgia button with Thrawn. Whereas if you look at, like, you know, I'm going to say Galaxy's Edge, but Crash of Fate and even books like Inferno Squad, uh, you know, I'm trying to think, Dark Disciple, A New Dawn, what they do successfully is they, like you said, they give you the same feelings that you had. They make you think the same things that you had, those those core things that make us human, but it doesn't make you want to be nine years old again. And I think that's really powerful because the nine-year-olds that are going to read these books, the 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, this is something that they can take into the future. And so when they go back and revisit, you know, whatever books are coming out 20 years from now, they can go like, oh, man, that's so much like Crash of Fate. Uh, which I think is really, I think it's really cool. I I really do applaud Zorada Cordova for doing a book like this that wasn't galaxy shattering. I really, I I, I mean, it was. It's definitely a risk because, especially us rabid fans. I mean, we we jump into every little thing. Like, oh my god, how is this going to completely change the story? Um, even something like Catalyst, which it it revolutionizes in my opinion that first uh scene of rogue one it completely changes how you understand what happens there you know this doesn't do that it's it i mean maybe it does for batu um you know maybe when you're in the story of galaxy's edge maybe there'll be something later in black spire or whatever else is coming but from what we've gotten here like these characters don't come up in the uh, the Galaxy's Edge comic. These characters, you know, as far as I know, are not going to be walking around like V. Marathi, uh, you know, at, on Batu. And I love that because they're just there. They're somewhere in all those people doing their thing, living their life, trying to be the best person they can be, failing miserably sometimes, winning sometimes. It's great.
1: It is, and it's cool, too, that... But- When I first picked this up and when I even just heard the synopsis, I thought it would be actually kind of catered more to just that where this was simply a ploy for galaxy's edge. And this was to get people hyped about that too. And don't get me wrong. She does this incredible job of building out the world. I said it to her and I'll say it again. I feel like, you could blindfold me and put me in the middle of galaxy's edge and I can walk around and just based on the sounds, the smells and even how different buildings might feel walking up to them. I feel like I would know where I was because she does such a great job building out Batu in this story, but it didn't at any point take away from what the story was supposed to do. And you know, it isn't a pure marketing ploy because it's still a YA book, so the the people this story are really is really geared to, they're not the ones who are going to be like, oh, I read this book, now I have to go to Galaxy's Edge, and I have the means to do that. No, the people this book is geared towards are going to be more of, you know, I have finals on this day, and I need to worry about this right now. It, they're not the main decision makers of their family, I would say, 70% of the time. Obviously, there's people like me and you who, because it says Star Wars on it, we need to digest it fully. <laughs> yeah. And we just so happen to still plan trips to Galaxy's Edge. But you know what I'm saying? It's it's a different focus, and it's not well, he, it's clearly not a marketing ploy because I think it's towards different demographics.
0: Well, and I think... One of the concerns that a lot of people had with even the creation of, of Batu and Galaxy's Edge is, oh my God, now everything's going to be focused on trying to get people to go to the park. You know, like, are we going to see Batu in episode nine so that people will be like, oh, I want to go there because it was in, you know. And there, are, there have been times, like, for example, in the Galaxy's Edge comic, as much as I like the story that's happening there's parts of it that feel like really this person's there too um and this doesn't try to be that it, it just because because the characters are executed and, and you understand them so well in the book it they fit in the environment well so sure it was really cool to, to get to meet Oga but I wasn't sitting there going, I wonder what he's going to look like if I see him in in the cantino or like, mm-hmm. you know, um mm-hmm. it was it it was natural for the story and I mean, there were there were a lot of easter eggs and connections in here. I would say this book, like if you're just talking pure like connections to other media, this is up there in the top 3 or 4 because you had Oga, you had Doc Ondar, you had uh the some of the planets that were mentioned Naboo was name dropped there were all kinds. of even
1: Hondo is mentioned yes there were so so,
0: so many and not a single one felt forced and I think that's a testament to the fact that the story is executed so well I mean it's we've been talking a lot about like how different this book is and not so much about the plot the plot's pretty simple um it, it it's not a an overly complicated convoluted thing um it's not it's not doing anything crazy
1: but it actually felt a lot like a very drawn out version of the perfect weapon which is a phenomenal short story or E novella. I think they're calling it now, but by my favorite author ever, Delilah Dawson. I love you. Um, but she had that Delilah Dawson wrote that great. E novella perfect weapon. And it's a pretty, I don't want to say totally similar concept, but it feels the same, you know, mysterious package, trying to figure out who it's being delivered to, trying to figure, you know, the, the plot starts off with the kernels of the same idea. It's just delivered in such a more digestible way, even though it is longer.
0: Yeah, and but I think also you have to look at the characters, especially, you know, when you're dealing with a plot that is not super complicated, when you are... Kind of playing into the hand of the genre itself, it would be really easy to make these stereotypical, you know, characters. I think that's one thing. Um I don't think I think I asked you, but have you ever read any John Green before?
1: Uh I have, yeah. That just that one. Just the Fault Um, in the Stars?
0: Okay. Yeah. I'm a huge John Green fan. He... I mean he he hits the tropes of um YA in a lot of his books but the characters are so compelling um I mean the one that just came out uh Turtles all the way down it was like I was reading it and it literally I was like oh my god this is me when I was 16 you know just in a completely different situation and like I said the characters in here like I feel like I am Jules. Like, I totally relate to that character. So, even though the plot is not super in depth, there's not. There is. There's the mystery. There's twists and turns. You get more and more about, you know, kernels, like you said, about like her parent, uh, Izzy's parents and things like that. But the characters, you're just you're rooting for because they are so well executed and you feel like you understand them. Um, who, who do you relate more to? Are you more Izzy or are you more Jules?
1: I want to say I'm more Izzy and I'm probably, you know, I'll say 60, 40 Izzy Jules.
0: Yeah. I would say, I would say you're more like 70, 30.
1: All right. All right. I'll take it. Thanks. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, don't, I mean,
0: other than, like, just standing and applauding for an hour, there's not really much else to say about this book. It's just... It's- no,
1: because it, it really is simple, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way. Obviously, I, I don't have anything terribly bad to say about this. It's, I don't have
0: anything bad to say about yeah,
1: this. Yeah, it, it's a simple story that you can pick up, put down whenever you need. It's not going to completely change how you see Star Wars. It's not going to give you any new theories about what's going to happen in Episode Nine. It's just something you can pick up and and enjoy and relate to these characters and just inhale a little bit.
0: Yeah, and I mean... I read until I fall asleep. So like, I don't even know why I own bookmarks because I never use them because I literally like every night I'm trying to like find the page I was at before. But a lot of times I will weigh like how good a book is off of how long it took me to fall asleep. Because if if I'm not really into a book, I usually fall asleep in like five to six pages. If I am into a book, I'm up for a lot longer reading it because I can't fall asleep. The only bad thing I have to say about this book is I kept falling asleep, and it wasn't because I didn't like it. This book came out right when I was starting work again, and we had had so much crazy stuff going on that I was just going to bed exhausted. And so it was kind of interesting because while this book was in and of itself very different from other Star Wars books, my own personal experience of it was so different because I kept like opening to where i thought i would be and i'm like no i'm not that far into it yet so it took me longer to get through it than i would have liked and i Mm. because i really enjoyed spending time with these characters like i feel like if i had all the time in the world to read this book i would have had it done in two to three days because
1: you know what though at least it did happen for this book because other books if that happened to you in you know, we keep talking about, like, Master and Apprentice, but even if it kept happening in something like Aftermath, it would have been, oh, my God, you know, where where was I 10 minutes before before I fell asleep because I need to go in and pick up on these yeah. little details. Everything's going to be so important. This you could kind of glide in and out of. Well, and
0: some of the story points that I was a big fan of, like the, the slow reveal of who Izzy's mom really was... There were some major points you couldn't miss, but you didn't need to know every detail to really understand what was going on for Izzy as that reveal was happening um you know with each with each new thing you didn't need to think back to okay well, what were the other ones before, and how does this feed into it it was because it was it was more about Izzy discovering that this identity that she had always exactly. been trying to create right so again i'm a I'm a character's person like I I come to stories for the characters. The plot being good is an added bonus. Um, the mythology being good is an added bonus. If the characters don't work, the story's not going to work for me. And the character to I, I want to note this because it, it's it's really something special, especially in YA, because I mean Lost Stars did it. Uh, it's Claudia Gray, so who's surprised there? But. Queen Shadow, you have Padme, already established character that we like. Legends of Luke Skywalker, you've got Luke freaking Skywalker. Ahsoka, you have Ahsoka. Rebel Rising comes out after Rogue One. Everybody likes Jin. You know, like these other books are going in with an advantage. I think if anything, Zorada Cordova went into this with a disadvantage. One because people have. Are, are a little disenfranchised with the whole idea of, of the marketing around galaxy's edge, I feel like. And two, because you have characters that are not big players in the galaxy, people we don't know yet. And then three, you, you're not telling this big grand galaxy shattering story. So in my opinion, that's like three strikes. Like this book should not be one that I'm like, I want to read that again. But honestly, I can't wait to read it again. Like I'm more excited to read it again than I am Alphabet Squadron. Um, oh, yeah. You know, like, you
1: know what? All right. So I have a question. I want to mix things up a little bit from what we normally do. I know we and I didn't run this by you. I'm sorry. But I know we typically do, you know, if you were to do any kind of spinoff, Ooh, yeah. you know, what character would you want to do in what medium? I want to ask you this, though. Seeing how Zoraida Cordova writes and her style and how she's able to make us connect with these characters that we have no knowledge of whatsoever going into this, what do you want her next project with Star Wars to be? Oh, my
0: God. That's so much pressure.
1: I would be. Re- I'm, I'm going to answer. Go for it, please, because I need you time come to up think. With yours. Because I am very excited for Resistance season two, but I am one of those people who's pretty bummed, even though I understand why it's ending after two seasons. I get it. Story-wise, I get it. I still want more. I would love for her to write about uh, Toradoza or Tam and do something there.
0: Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Even uh, Sonara would be good.
1: Oh, yeah. Telling,
0: like, Sonara's prequel. Yeah. I think because I think Zarada Cordova has a great... I think she takes the time to really understand her characters. Um, We talked a lot in the interview about kind of her process and, and... we hadn't finished the book yet, so we were trying not to get too much about the plot and, and the character reveals and things like that. So a lot of the conversation was about her process and how she fit things into the galaxy. If we got if we got to her, we get to talk to her again, I would love to discuss more her process in, in like the psychology of characters. Because I think she, while we didn't talk about that a lot, I think that has to play a big role in how she's developing these stories. So, th- with that in mind, I would like to see something with cheerit and base.
1: Wow! I
0: think that would be wow, really cool. Wow! Great pick. Right? Like, there's it. You could go multiple ways with it. The Guardians of the Will's book isn't a a huge story, but it has weight for the situation. So you could you could do a smaller story, which she's proven she can do. You could do you could pull in that force mythology, which I, I have no problem believing she would be able to execute. Maybe not in the same way as a Claudia gray or a Delilah Dawson. Uh, but I, and I'm not just saying this cause we talked to her. I'm saying this like as a writer and as a reading teacher, looking at the text, I would put her up there in her ability to execute on what she's trying to do. With the Claudia Greys and Delilah Dawson's, like she's she's in that she's in that restaurant. To go back to my earlier metaphor, she may not be at the same table with them yet because you know they've produced multiple books. They've they you know they're they're more proven commodities um, with with bigger titles. But I think give her time. Yeah, no, I think if you give her the chance, it's she could absolutely do it. I am super excited because. I mean, I'm going to figure out a way to get some more of uh, more copies of this, of Crash of Fate, because I want my kids to have this in the classroom, um, because I think it's just a fun Star Wars story where 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 uh, excuse me where people who maybe are like, mm, I saw the Star Wars movie and it's not really for me, can, can find a way to connect to a smaller story, a more intimate story.
1: Mm, for sure. No, it's a good entry point.
0: All right, so we both love the book. Um, You should go read it. I'm going to go reread it. But we have to close out with the segment that we always forget because I don't write show notes. Um, Shout out to Jedi Brian. We are going to do our Lothcat rating. But because we never actually do Lothcats, uh, in honor of Doc Ondar, we're going to do Ithorians. So how many Ithorians Ooh. do you give this book?
1: Um, I would give this... I'm struggling for the exact amount. I hate doing half ratings because really I would do it like a three and a half, but I'll bump it up to four. You know, it's it's not something you really necessarily need to read if you're going to stay up to date with everything Star Wars related. It's not inessential the way bloodline is essential but it's it's not i can't picture someone picking up this story and not liking it i give this a. am not saying it's anyone's favorite but i can't picture someone not liking it
0: i could see it being someone's favorite i could absolutely see that um i think you and i are so deep into the force mythology and the things like that um but i th- there I think there's other people out there who definitely this is like I know at least for me at the at the point when I was reading this story, this was the Star wars book I needed um and I didn't know I needed it, so with that in mind i'm s I'm at a solid four um I think everything she tried to do was executed perfectly, I think all the connections were brought in excellently like i i honestly I honestly don't have a negative thing to say about this book. Let's wrap up with, with the ending because we haven't touched on that yet. And the ending is kind of, I mean, I don't know why I'm going to I'm talking like I'm giving spoilers. This is a spoiler show. So if you haven't read the book and (laughs) you're this far into it, but the resistance and the first order are now like fully steeped into Batu. Um, Mm -hmm and izzy and jules are trying to or are having a conversation rather about maybe one day joining up with the resistance so to wrap up one word that's all you get do they join the resistance yes oh see i see a no
1: really I why do i
0: i no. i'm i'm at a solid no like not that I would be disappointed if we saw them in Resistance because they're super cool characters, but I think that's the point of this story is that there are just normal people out there who aren't fighting the war, who are just, you know, they're, they're the uh, the Owen and Beru Lars, you know?
1: Ooh. You know, so I'm going to stay with I could still see them joining the Resistance, but as soon as you said no, that's actually kind of the thought that went through my head the we want those average show stories. So even if they don't join the resistance, I'd be okay with that. I'd be happy about that.
0: Yeah, I would be super happy about that. I really want another book from Zerata Cordova. Like I I know she's primarily a YA author. I would love to see her try her hand at a regular size novel um, just so that more people can see because her writing style is super fun.
1: Um or let her do something like really, you know, for lack of better words, choppy. Like Claudia Grey writes YA, but it doesn't Lost Stars. If you didn't put young adults on that cover, I would never guess it was young adults. Yeah, Same with Princess fair. Alderaan, Even Rebel Rising, Beth Revis does a a really good job uh, pushing that boundary. So I think even if you if they just give her choppier material to work with, um, like maybe Tam or Chirana Bay's,
0: Yeah, something something that people already know about that's a proven yeah. commodity. Yeah, absolutely. So we want to once again thank Serrata Cordova for coming on with us and talking um, on the last episode. And as you can probably tell from this episode, we had a really good time reading the book. There's not much more to say about it other than that. Um, spoiler alert that Lindsay already gave away, we have Black Spire. We're both reading it. So we should have a review out to you uh, actually sooner than normal. Delray, I am keep emailing you. Hook us up. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say. Lindsay, you got anything to add?
1: No, I'll let you uh, show, us, show us the way out, my friend. You did such a good job on the intro this time, so don't mess this one oh, up. Oh, God,
0: so much pressure. Uh, no pressure. <laughs> all right, well, follow us on tw- uh, Twitter, on the tweeter. Uh, At Clashing Sabers, you can send us a DM and tell us we're great or tell us we're terrible. I will either like you or block you, whatever. Uh, You can join our Facebook group, Clashing Sabers Star Wars Community on Facebook. It's a lot of fun. People over there are talking and uh, having good conversations. What else do we have? We have our website, ClashingSabers.net. There will be articles posted soon. I don't know how soon soon is because I haven't had any ideas pop in my head, uh, but we're working on it. There's some good yeah, stuff there.
1: The is coming out now. We're getting it. I, I feel know. like we were in such a lag because there wasn't anything new for so long. Yeah. And we're going back to it full gear.
0: Yeah. And, and the gears will start moving again uh, once we get there. So lots to look forward to there. We have some uh, big things. I'll just use the blanket statement of that in the work. So make sure you are subscribed to the network. All you have to do is click that subscribe button and you will get all of our shows for free uh yeah so uh, until next time keep reading keep writing but whatever you do don't burn the sacred text
1: you did it
0: i know two in a row